Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Psalm 37, and I'm going to start reading from chapter 1. It says here, uh, do not fret or don't worry or don't be anxious because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. It's David speaking, and David is sharing this psalm. He's, he's older in age now. And these few verses that we're about to read in this psalm is almost like David looking back, giving some instruction to the younger ones coming up, some instructions on how to get by. And if we know something of David's life, David led a pretty crazy life that was um, often at times under a physical attack by an enemy. And that's what he's referring to in this, um, in this verse. Um, don't be anxious or don't worry about evildoers. Uh, David was somebody that faced evildoers, literally uh, soldiers and people that were coming after him. We know that Saul that ran David down for a lot of his life was pursuing after him. But the word tells us that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but we do battle against principalities and powers. While you may not have a Saul uh, running you down, so you have to go and hide in the hills, but you do in the spirit have an enemy that is after you and after your destiny that there is an attack, that there is an assignment, if you like, of the enemy over your life and what you are called to do. That every single day when you wake up, understand that the enemy comes against you subtly with subtle schemes that Bible talks about. And the Bible, in fact, says that he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I'm not trying to bring doom and gloom this morning, but I am here to remind us that this life that we're living and called to to live that's out in front of us by way of a purpose and destiny upon your life is not just going to float in the window and land on your lap, just some pretty worship song that you listen to, that you're going to have to fight sometimes. The Word says that heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Sometimes you've got to recognise that there's a purpose and there's a destiny and there's an anointing upon your life that hell does not like and every now and then you're going to face an attack. But we can take faith of this verse. David says, don't fret. Don't worry about what's coming against you. Worry about what's pushing you forward. Don't worry about the attacks that are trying to stop you. Focus upon the God that has empowered you by His Spirit to do what it is that you are called to do. That your steps are ordered by the Lord, that He's going before you, that He's opening doors, that He's making a way where there seems to be no way. You have every reason to be in faith this morning. He says, don't worry about it. Don't stress. Don't worry about what's going on around you. Some of you might think, well, but you don't understand my situation. I may not, but God does. And He defeated every single principality and power on that cross through the blood of Jesus Christ. So there is no enemy that you face that He has not already defeated. It's about walking, not in your strength, but His. David says, don't fret, don't worry about it. Leave those dudes alone. They've got nothing on, on your God. Don't, don't let it bother you. Don't even give it a second thought. There's not one single thing that you're facing that is worth your anxiety. For they shall, be soon, they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. 
In verse 3, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. These verses we know, I think, so well. If you maybe you're not even necessarily a regular church person, you probably heard these verses at some time in your life. One of the things I love about the Word of God is you can read the Word of God sometimes and read a verse that you've seen a thousand times before, heard preached, and can even quote yourself verbatim. But every now and then the Holy Spirit will enlighten a verse and show you something different and speak at something different into your spirit. And I want to share just some things that the Lord was showing me this week for us that I believe He wants to use this morning to encourage us and to stir our spirits a little bit. For those of you that we're about to pray for as you go out into your, your, your college or your high school tomorrow, that I believe that there are some instructions that you can draw from these words that I'm going to preach this morning to build your faith. That are going to help you and empower you to withstand. David says in that, in, three, uh, in 37 and verse 3 begins by saying this, this simple word, it means to, it says to trust in the Lord, to trust in Him. That word, when you look at the interpretation, it means to be bold or have confidence. That David is saying that you need to have confidence in your God. I don't know about you, but the more I read about the things of God in His Word, the more confident I get that my God is able, that nothing I face, He is not able and in fact already has overcome. That we have every single reason to be bold and to be confident no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're coming up against, that we don't have to have a spirit of fear. His Word says, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, a spirit of power and a spirit of a sound mind. That we don't have to walk in timidity. I wonder if God's going to work it out. I wonder if He's going to pull me through this. No, His Word says that He's going to pull you through it. You've got to take that Word and apply it to your life that no weapon formed against you will prosper. Be confident in His Word. Take a foot forward in faith knowing I can be confident in who my God is. I am a basketball fan. I am a Lakers fan. I have always been a Lakers fan. Those of you about to judge me and call me a bandwagon Lakers fan, I'm not a bandwagon Lakers fan. I'm a Magic Johnson Lakers fan. I'm an AC Green, if he's in the house this morning, Lakers fan. But there was something I was looking at, and, uh, and for those of you who perhaps don't know, basketball, um, Lakers were not, in fact, doing all that well. Um, if you wanted to, a year ago, if you wanted to purchase some LA Lakers merchandise, it wasn't a difficult thing to do. You could go into any NBA store and there was ample supply of LA Lakers merchandise. You could in fact go to a ticket box, an NBA ticket box about a year ago and you could even less than that six months ago, you could go to an NBA ticket box and you could purchase a Lakers season ticket. 
wouldn't probably even cost you all that much. Something happened on between July the 9th and July the 10th that changed things a little bit for the LA Lakers. If you went to an LA Lakers merchant to try and purchase LA Lakers merchandise on July the 9th, you could have got merchandise, whatever you wanted. They had plenty. If you tried to purchase LA merchandise on the 10th, they were sold out. You could purchase season tickets for a fairly reasonable price on July the 9th. But on July the 10th, in less than 24 hours, the cost of LA Lakers tickets rose 800%. There were reports of people paying in excess of $180,000 for four season tickets to the LA Lakers that did not include the playoffs. What happened? One word, LeBron. Tell me this. How does somebody lay down over $180,000 for four seats to a team that less than 24 hours ago, you would not even pay a quarter of that price? That's confidence. LeBron James, do you know what LeBron James has done for the LA Lakers? Do you know how many points he scored for the LA Lakers? A big fat zero. Do you know how many rebounds he's got for the LA Lakers? Nothing. Do you know how many passes he's made, assists he's made? Nothing. He has not brought them one single win, yet people are willing to lay down big money, not because of what he's doing right now, but because of what they believe he will do soon. I wish we could get some Christians that had the same amount of faith in the name Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. We need to start to get some Laker fan faith. We need to start to say... I know LeBron is called the King, but I know another King and his name is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And I'm going to put some down because I know that he's going to come through for me every single time. I've got confidence. My God's got some wins on the board. He's got some championships under his belt. He's performed before in the past and he's going to do it again. Give him praise if you believe it. I'm confident. I'm confident in who my God is. I'm confident in His Word. I'm confident in what He says in this Word He's going to do and applying it to my life. You've got to have confidence. Why? Because people look, because what is it? They know what LeBron's capable of. They know the stats. They've done some research. They've seen what LeBron did for other teams. 
They've seen how LeBron is able to turn games around in a second. They've seen how LeBron can put points on the board quickly. They've seen how LeBron can come into a bad situation and turn a bad situation around real quickly. So they know the stats and they say that if LeBron did it back then, then LeBron can do it again. How much greater faith should we have as Christians if we read some of the stats of how good your God has been? how able He is. Can we get some boldness upon what our God has done in the past and dare to believe that if He did it once before, then He can do it again. Give Him praise if you're bold, if you're believing that your God's about to come and do something great in your life. He says, He says, trust in Him. I believe this thing. I believe in the power of the Word of God. It's not just quoting little fancy little slogans that just make myself feel good or write it up on a plaque and stick it on the wall so I can just read it. I believe that when I declare it, things shift. I believe there's power in it. I believe when it tells me that it's the sword of the Spirit that will divide bone and marrow. That when I take this Word and I apply it to situations that I'm going through, that in the Spirit, maybe in the natural, I don't feel it. But faith is not a feeling. It's a declaration that I stand upon, that I don't have to feel it, I believe it. And when I speak it out, things start to shift in the Spirit and I know that God is doing something in front of me. Do you believe it? Do you believe the Word of God? Do you believe when you pray and you speak out that Name of Jesus, that enemy flees in front of you? Do you believe that when you declare the blood of Jesus Christ, the enemy is reminded of the greatest loss in hell's history and that was the cross of Jesus Christ? you got to believe it and you got to have some boldness. Stepping out and believe. I believe it. I've got a boldness in my spirit. He says, trust in Him. Trust in Him. Problem is, I think we read these words, sometimes we hear them spoken so much, but we miss how much power there is in it. What would your life look like if you started trusting in God? If you started having more boldness in your God than you do your bank account. Some of us, we get a hop in our step when we see what we got in the bank account. You need to read the Word and get a hop in your step and say, man... That word tells me that I'm an overcomer. I know my bank account says something else, but I feel a little, little hop in my spirit this morning that my God is going to go before me, that I don't rely upon my bank account. I don't rely upon people. I don't rely upon my job for survival. He is my survival. He is my source. He is my comforter. He's the rock I stand on. It's the Word that enlightens a Word unto my feet, a lamp unto my path. I trust Him. i got confidence in Him. Confidence. Getting excited this morning. Calm down, calm down. (laughs) Trust in Him. Do good. Dwell in the land. In verse 4, He says, delight. He says, delight yourself. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself where? In the Lord. There's two things that we're being told to do in this verse by David. First thing that we're being told to do is we need to delight ourselves. First part of that verse is that's 
He's telling us what to do. And the second part tells us where to do it. He says, I want you to delight yourself, but I need you to delight yourself in the Lord. That word delight, it means to be moldable, pliable, able to be shaped, it says. That's why it's so important, not just what you're doing, but where you're doing it. See, some of you are doing the right thing, but in the wrong place. You're allowing your life to be molded and shaped. You're delighting yourself, but you're not delighting yourself in the Lord. You're delighting yourself in other people. That's why you're getting hurt. That's why that relationship, when it falls apart, you're broken and you can't seem to pull the pieces back together because you allowed yourself to be moulded and shaped by the relationship and by the person instead of your God. Too many people allow situations to mould them and shape them. People that have gone through challenging times and difficult times and come out of those times full of fear and full of anxiety and full of insecurities. You allowed your situation to mould and to shape you into a fearful person. But if you would delight yourself in the Lord, you will come out with a confidence and a boldness. You will come out secure, not in what's going on around you, but a security in who you are in God, so much so that it won't worry what happens around you. It won't worry about who let you down. It won't matter what people do to you because you never delighted yourself in them. You never delighted yourself in your job. You never delighted yourself in the relationship. You delighted yourself in the Lord. It's not just what you do. But it's where you do it. It's, it's, a, it's a state of our heart, delighting yourself. We look at that sometimes. That's why the Word of God is so powerful. We sometimes rush over these verses. We think delight just means to be happy. It's deeper than that. The happiness, the joy will come after. See, the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is momentary, depends on circumstances, but joy is a spirit. And when you delight yourself in the Lord, you get a joy. Now, does joy mean that sometimes I'm not happy? Absolutely. I can still have joy and be unhappy because happiness is surface. But when I delight myself in the Lord, He moulds me and He shapes me and He puts in my spirit an inner joy that unhappiness cannot steal. So I still have moments where, you know, life sucks. We all go through things, I get it. Like not every day is fluff and bubbles and roses. Not that those things are necessarily good. I don't know why I say that. I mean, I guess roses are for girls, but I don't know. But when we have an inner joy, it doesn't matter what I walk through because the Holy Spirit has molded and shaped me. What, that, that what this is speaking of, what this verse is speaking of, it's actually one of the things it's referring to is a verse in Isaiah that speaks about him being the potter and us being the clay. And he molds us and he shapes us. One thing that you'll know anybody that's worked with clay before is you've got to apply water. 
You've got to put water and they put water onto the clay and the water helps to soften the clay. Because clay without water is tough. The Bible speaks of water representing the Word of God. It speaks of the washing water with the Word. That's why the Word of God is so powerful. That when we allow the Word of God to come into our life, to come into those dry, cracked up, hurt, bitter, broken places in our life and allow the Holy Spirit to start to mould and to start to shape. Shape us into who we can be. That's what we're doing up here. This is not just about us doing cool little slogans that you can tweet and walk out of here and say, well, that felt good. You know what? I pray that sometimes the messages don't feel good. Because often if it feels good, it doesn't change us. And the shouts and the amens are awesome because I believe in the power of agreement. But how many know sometimes the Word is doing its greatest work when you're sitting there frozen in your seat because the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit just came and touched on some things that we need to deal with in our lives. That's when we know we had church. When we walk out saying, man, I've got to fix some things in my life. David says, delight yourself in the Lord. First, he tells us, trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. That's so powerful. We hear that verse and we think that means that if I seek God, He'll give me what I want. I found that when you delight yourself in the Lord, that your desires start to line up with Him. And there may be desires that you had in your heart before you delighted yourself in the Lord. But the moment you delight yourself in the Lord, those desires change and your desires start to line up with His desires. That's when He'll give you the desires of your heart. You've got to take word for what it's saying. And lastly, He says this, the desires of your heart in verse 5. He says, commit, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He'll bring it to pass. The, the, the first thing that we touched on in verse 3 is trust. The second is delight. And the third is commit. Trust is a, is a, is a mindset. It's setting my mind, saying, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to believe. I'm going to have confidence. Delight is a state of my heart, being moldable, allowing the Word to shape me, allowing the Holy Spirit to mold and shape me. And committing your ways to Him. That's a surrendering. It's surrendering our life. That's what that means. It speaks of rolling everything that we have onto. That's what the interpretation means. Onto the Lord. Saying my life, this life is not mine. Let me tell you something. If you are saved and you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. You have no rights. I know we're not going to amen that because it didn't sound very good because we're all about my rights. We're all about what people owe me, what's due me. I'm sorry, when you got saved, you gave up your rights. Paul said, I take up my cross daily. You don't have a single right. Your whole life is committed to Jesus Christ. That's what Lordship is. That's what surrender is. I don't have a right to be offended. 
I don't have a right to be bitter. I don't have a right to be hurt. I don't have a right to be in doubt. I don't have a right to be insecure. I don't have a right to not have any faith. I don't have a right. My life is surrendered to Him. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's about Him getting the glory. Everything belongs to Him. See, see, we have, this is so important that we understand this because this is actually the foundation for the Christian life. That's about the work and the surrendering of our heart to Him. See, the problem is, is we've watered down the Christian walk to simply trying to do what Jesus did. Remember those wristbands that says WWJD? Remember those? Maybe you still have one. I remember I used to tease kids at school that wore them before I knew Jesus. And it says, WWJD, it says, what would Jesus do? As a reminder to do what Jesus would do. And I think it's good and I understand, I'm not saying those wristbands are bad. But the problem is, is if we just teach people that the Christian walk is about trying to do what Jesus did, then we're gonna fall short every time. Because you cannot get external transformation without internal revelation. If, if there is a deeper thing, it's not just about replicating what Jesus did. It's about surrendering my life to who Jesus was. And when I surrender my life to who He is, then out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak, which means what happens in my heart and in my spirit, my actions will then come. But it cannot happen without surrender. How, how, how do I live the Christian life? Surrender your life to Jesus. Take up your cross and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's your business, God. It's your kids. It's your marriage. It's your gifting. It's your talents. I trust you with it all. What do you want me to do? My life is yours. Commit your ways to Him. These are powerful verses, church. If we would apply these to our lives. I know it's hard sometimes. I know it's challenging. But the Word of God is. It's not always going to feel good. But if we would apply it to our life, we start to step into the kingdom of God and what He's called us to do. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.